Sojourn, I have missed you this past month. Uh, Before I uh, get into the sermon, I need to make an announcement for today. Uh, Today is an exciting day for our Sojourn Houston family. Uh, A little over eight years ago, uh, we began this church, Sojourn Heights, with the hope that we wouldn't put on a big attractional event that people drove in from San Antonio and Austin and everywhere to, to be a part of, but uh, but that we would start a church that was uh, more like a family, moved in, lived near one another, and then we would start other sojourns in other parts of the city. And so then we, we started Sojourn Montrose, and then from there, Sojourn Galleria, and then Sojourn Spring Branch. And then today, uh, by God's grace, our fifth sojourn in the East End officially launches. And so we are thrilled, and we are grateful. We are grateful to the Lord for His grace to have sustained us this far and and for all that we've gotten to see and do and be a part of. Okay, uh, as you said, we're in a series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, This week, we are looking at a passage that is um, in the middle of a larger sermon that Jesus preaches. And so I want to frame this text that we are going to look at today like this. Uh, On Tuesday of this week, I was taking my Uber home. Uh, and I, surprise, surprise, got into a conversation with my driver, uh, and he was a very nice guy. We had a lot of convo about cricket, and it's uh, just, cricket's a great game, by the way, if you're not familiar with it. <laughs> I'm actually being serious. This is a lot of fun to watch. I don't play it. Um, they wouldn't let me, uh, but, I, but I do enjoy watching it. And I asked him, he, he practices another religion, and I asked him, I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered converting to Christianity? And he turned around and he said this, his answer was, you, you don't understand. I don't need to. Your Jesus, my Jesus, same, same. You call him son of God. I call him great teacher, great prophet, but basically no difference. And here's the thing. He was reflecting what is a common perspective on Jesus, whether you are uh, from another religion or an atheist. It is not uncommon to hear something like this, that Jesus was a great moral leader and a really uh, great teacher. It's a way uh, to neutralize Jesus. It's a pretty neutral response to him. It's a way to be indifferent to him. It's a way to to not have to decide between loving and hating him. It's a way to say, I I like this part of his teaching, but I don't like this part of his teaching, and so I'm going to choose between the two. But here's what it means. Here's what that means. That means you have never actually paid attention to Jesus' teaching. Because if you had paid attention, in particular in the Gospel of Luke, you would see that Jesus is a highly controversial figure, highly controversial figure who threatens both Jews and Romans alike, and no one has a neutral response to him. Either you love him and you worship him, or you hate him and you reject him, but no one is neutral. Why are we talking about this? Because in our text today, if we take Jesus' words seriously, Everything in us is going to want to try to neutralize him. Everything in us is going to want to say, okay, yeah, 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 okay, but. Okay, he he said this, but what he meant was this. And if I could gently but honestly say, Jesus today is going to press into some of our assumed American values. Part of the beauty of Jesus is that there is no culture under the sun that Jesus doesn't affirm something and rejects something within. It's part of how we know and believe that he is Lord of all of the earth. And today, Jesus is going to press deeply into and 
uh, and maybe catch some of us and rub us the wrong way as he presses into our assumed, some of our assumed American values. And we are going to do our best not to neutralize Jesus. We're going to do our best to let his words press into us. And the reason we're going to do this is because this sermon that Jesus is preaching is what one commentator called Jesus' great manifesto on the way God wants the world to be. And if we try to neutralize Jesus in the middle of this sermon, here's what we're doing. We're undercutting our ability to be the world God wants, to be the community that puts the world God wants on display. And so we're going to do our best collectively in this room together today to say, Jesus, we're going to take your words, all of them seriously, and we're going to let them press into us. So let's talk Luke 6 in this sermon by Jesus. Here's how it began. He he gathered a bunch of his followers together, a bunch of people who had started to follow him. He, he gets them together in a big circle. I don't know if it was a circle or not. He got them together. And he comes out of the gate swinging. He says this. He says things like this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. But woe, woe to the rich. Woe to the full. If this were a boxing match, this is Jesus coming out with a pretty strong opening jab and them getting knocked off kilter a bit. And then, and then we hit verse 27. 27, where he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, we need to pause here because this statement, love your enemies, this is going to form Jesus' thesis statement throughout this sermon. And for us to understand it, for us to hear what they heard, uh, we need to know how they would have defined the word enemy. When Jesus said, love your enemies, we need to know how the people listening to him would have heard the word enemy. Now, remember, he is primarily speaking to religious Jews who would have viewed their enemy as any nation that had oppressed Israel. Any nation that had oppressed their community, their people, they would have heard Babylon, Assyria, Rome, and this would have been incredibly personal to them. These were the people that had come in, taken them from their land, destroyed their sacred religious sites. And so I want, I want to, to quote, uh, I want to read a commentator to you talking about how they would have heard the word enemy, what they would have thought when they heard the word enemy. This is how it goes. How does Israel view its enemy? The enemy is hateful, full of insults, curses, taunts, and slanders. He gloats when he triumphs and is full of braggadocia. I love that word. The enemy inflicts suffering and distress on Israel. He encircles Jerusalem and lays siege, destroys and plunders, I'm sorry, destroys and tramples down the Lord's sanctuary, plunders Jerusalem's treasure, and penetrates the most holy place of the temple to create the abomination of desolation. Then, having overcome Jerusalem, he boldly cries out, Aha! The ancient heights have become our possession. Jesus is saying to them, I know your stories, I know what they have done to you, and I'm saying to you, love your enemies. Yes, I know what they have done. I know your story, I know their story, and I know how they intersect, and I'm saying to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. This was an unprecedented call for love that is unparalleled in ancient literature. 
You will not find a parallel in ancient literature calling for this kind of love. And this was Jesus pressing into their cultural values as well. The cultural value that said this, the functional value system that said, I love my people and I protect them from the enemy. Not, I love our enemy and I make my people vulnerable. This was Jesus pressing into assumed cultural values. And there's a sense in which for us to apply this text forward to our own lives, it, it would have been a lot easier back during World War I or II or the Cold War. It would have been a lot easier. But what's happened as uh, 20th uh, to 21st century America has rolled forward, uh, enemies in our culture, in our context, are no longer out there. They are in here. It is no longer the nation pointing nukes at us. It is the person across the political aisle from us. It is the person on the other end of the economic spectrum from, from us. It is no longer out there. It is in here. It doesn't take long on social media to see how we treat people who disagree with us politically or socially. And while we might not define the word enemy the same as ancient Israel or early 20th century America, and we might not use this term in polite public discourse, the effect is no, lo no less the same, the outworking is no less personal, and to love our enemies makes us vulnerable just like it did them. Now Jesus is going to take this command, this command to love your enemies, which he starts out with this broad statement. He's going to take it from the clouds to the ground, because right now, right now it's a bit ethereal, is it not? Right now we can all say, oh, I do that. Like, of course I love them. Of course I do. That's why I want them to be right so badly. Jesus is going to go from the cloud to the ground, and he is going to put flesh on this. So let's go with him. Love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus is saying, here is what loving your enemies looks like. This is Jesus moving from emotion to expression. This is what it looks like to love your enemies. And so to give us handles or a, uh, to try to help us with a, a understanding the breadth of what he is saying, I want to categorize these commands from Jesus into two categories. I want to put them in these two categories, personal and property. Personal and properties. So let's talk personal first. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. And in this context, the word curse would have been essentially a synonym for taunt or slander. And he is saying, when someone speaks poorly of you, I want you to speak well of them. And we all said, check, nailed it. Pray for those who abuse you. The word abuse is used one other time in the New Testament. It's in 1 Peter, and it gets translated uh, with the word revile. The, the word carries the idea of being criticized or insulted. And he's saying, when someone criticizes you, when someone insults you, when someone throws an arrow at the very core identity of who you think you are, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. And then he says, when someone slaps you on the cheek, I want you to offer the other also. 
Now, it's probably important to give some clarity to this. This would have been referencing a backhanded slap, which would have been the single most insulting thing you could do to somebody in this day. So he is not saying, if you get jumped in a back alley at 2 a.m., just lay there. I will say, if you're in a back alley at 2 a.m., get out of the alley. He is saying, if you get insulted, don't retaliate. When you get insulted, don't retaliate. Jesus is saying to love your enemies means speaking of your enemies in a way that they would never speak of you. It is perfectly normal. It makes absolute human sense to curse when cursed, to revile when reviled, to insult when insulted. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do the absolute opposite. I want you to do the absolute opposite. I do not want you to do what human instincts say to do. I want you to do the opposite. And then to make things easier, he goes from personal to property. He says if someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic also. Obviously, we all have a few cloaks and tunics lying around. Cloak is your overcoat. The tunic was the garment underneath it against your skin. It is the one thing that the government wouldn't take from somebody. It's the one thing a creditor could not come in and take. And Jesus is saying, if they take one, give them the other. And he says, give to everyone who begs. Give to everyone who begs. Listen to Jesus' words, give to everyone who begs. Jesus is saying, I want my people to be generous to a fault. Error on the side of generosity. No, 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 don't, don't, don't judge whether they're worthy of your generosity. Give to everyone who begs. I want my people to be marked by an overwhelming, unrealistic kind of generosity. Then when somebody steals from you, he says, don't demand it back. If someone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. This does not mean that Jesus is okay with theft. It means that when your car is stolen, don't react as if your car is the most important thing in the world to you. When you put these together, this is what we see, that Jesus wants a completely countercultural view of possessions among his people. It is normal to say, it is normal, it is a human instinct to say, my money is my money and my property is my property, and no, I will not give to you, you beggar. I got a job and worked hard for it, you can too. And Jesus is saying, not my people, not my people, not my people. In no way do the Scriptures devalue the dignity and importance of work. What He is calling for is a radical generosity among His people. Radical generosity among His people. He is saying, what is normal? I want you to do the opposite. And I want to read you a quote from Daryl Bach, who is one of the foremost scholars on the book of Luke in the world, who is also one of my seminary professors, who took this, this section of Jesus right here, and he summarized the kind of love Jesus is talking about with this statement. Love is available, vulnerable, and subject to repeated abuse. I'm going to read it again. Love is available, vulnerable, and subject to repeated abuse. And then Jesus finishes it off with a uh, non-reciprocal statement on the golden rule. The golden rule, treat others the way you want them to be treated, which, by the way, had a, uh, a strong reputation. The golden rule did in... Uh, in both Hellenistic uh, uh, literature and culture and the Jewish culture as well, but it was always in both of them a reciprocal golden rule. It was, I do for you so that you will do for me. And in context, there is nothing reciprocal about what Jesus is saying here. 
do for those who will not do for you. Whether or not they will treat you the way you want them to treat you, treat them that way anyway. There is nothing reciprocal about Jesus' statement here. Jesus is calling His people to embody the kind of love that is unparalleled and unfound in ancient philosophy, religion, or ethics. He is saying, I want you to love the world in a way that the world will never love you. I want you to love others in a way that they will never love you, and I want you to be okay with it because this is how we embody collectively together the world that God wants. It is a radical, revolutionary call to a kind of love that collides with all of our human instincts, and now He's going to contrast it. And in the contrast, He's going to drill a little deeper into it. Let's go verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend it to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So in this contrast, Jesus starts out by saying, hey, listen, there's a kind of love that's really not love. There's a kind of love that is not love for sake of the other person, but love so that you can get love in return. There's a kind of love that's really love for yourself. And he's saying everyone does that, and it's not distinct to my people. It's not distinct to my people. So even sinners do that. And it's probably important that we define the word sinner here because it's not, uh, it, the people listening to Jesus teach did not understand this word the way that we might think of the word today. They would have thought of it as simply another category of people, a group of people who are not part of this community. And Jesus is saying, they do that. They do that. He's saying that loving people who love you is not distinct and there's nothingly inherently, nothing inherently reflective of the heart of God in it. It is nothing more than the Friends theme song. Do you guys remember the Friends theme song? I'll be there for you because... No, okay, no, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. No worry, I'll, I'll bring some culture to this room. Um, because you'll be there for me too. I'm there for you because you're there for me. I'm there for you because you're there for me. Nothingly inherent, nothing inherently distinctive about that. And then he says, do good to those who can do good to you. Nothing distinct about that either. There is nothing reflective of the heart of God if you simply do good to those who will do good to you. And then he hits one that's interesting, one I find fascinating. He moves on to conditional lending. This is uh, not simply being willing to lend only to those who can pay you back, but Bach makes the case that this is lending to people who might one day be able to lend back to you. So listen to Bach summarize this, and if he's right, how this drills more deeply into what Jesus is saying. If one meets needs only for people who can meet one's future needs, i.e., I lend to you because you might be able to lend to me, how do the real needs of the needy who cannot repay get met? If the Old Testament law surrounding lending tried to protect the weak of the community, then such conditional lending, lending undercuts that protection. Jesus is saying that I want my community, my people, those who would follow me to handle money in a way that it protects the poor and the marginalized. In a way, in a way that does not neglect nor exploit those in need. He wants 
people who are financially secure to be able to use their finances for those who are financially insecure. He wants us to have a different perspective on our money, that our money is about more, more than simply a future retirement. It includes, and it's meant to include, caring for the vulnerable among us. And not just among us here. This text is about the vulnerable out there. He wants a radical generosity in His people. He wants us to become and be willing to be vulnerable for the good of the vulnerable. If you are in this room right now, and you are one of society's vulnerable, if you are one of the ones in this room who fit the category of poor and in need of help, this community is where you're meant to find that help. People of Jesus in the city of Houston, that's where you're meant to find the help. That's where you're meant to find it. This is the point I think Luke is trying so desperately and aggressively to make as he highlights to Jesus that love is the currency of Jesus' kingdom. Spend it generously. Love is the currency of Jesus' kingdom. Spend it generously. And spending it generously has some tangible expressions to it. It has some tangible expressions to it. Love is the currency of Jesus' kingdom, so spend it generously, which is exactly what Jesus did. Let's keep reading verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus moves us from the, ex- from the expression of love to the heart of God that does love. He says, I want you to imitate the heart of God who is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. He is kind to His enemies. And if you want to see the heart of the Father for the enemy reflected, you have to look no farther than the cross of Christ, where the Son of God became an enemy of God so that enemies of God could become sons of God. If you want to know how the Father feels about the outsider and the enemy, He feels strongly enough about them to send His Son into the world to go to the cross to become an enemy and an outsider so that enemies could become friends and outsiders could become insiders. That's how He feels. And you know what motivated this? Love. Love that was meant to find its way all the way to you. Love that has made its way to you. And if you want to receive this or you want to live into it, here's what you have to do. You simply have to see yourself as the beggar in need. The outsider desperately needing the invitation from God to the inside. The one who has nothing and no ability to pay God back, but simply a life lived of gratitude. This is what's on the table. And this text is calling us to see ourselves as an enemy become a son and let that compel our love for anybody that we might identify as an enemy. And then when we do, we can live verse 36. Verse 36 that says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. When Jesus um, speaking to this Jewish audience that had a cultural phrase of the day, it went like this, as our Father in, is merciful in heaven, so be merciful on earth. And they would have heard Jesus' point being crystallized right here when it says, imitate God by loving your enemies. Imitate God by extending the mercy of heaven on earth. Imitate God by taking the shalom of God, the, 
the, the shalom of heaven and bringing it to bear on earth. The command for us is clear, crystal clear. Not necessarily easily to follow, but crystal clear. Love in a way that reflects the heart of God. Imitate God by loving those who will never love you back. Imitate God by giving to those who will never be able to give back to you. Make the mercy of God tangible for the outsider. Tangible for societies marginalized. Tangible for anybody that you might want to deem an enemy. And when we do, we bring heaven to earth. Because I think the commentator was right. This sermon that Jesus preaches is his great manifesto on the world that God wants. And Jesus wants his church to be that world. To be that world. And so you say, uh, Brandon, this is great. Maybe, maybe you don't, I don't know. But what do I do? I need my action item, man. What do I do? When I leave here, what do I do? Well, here it is. Again, not complicated, does not make it easy, but it's not complicated. Love. Love. Love those that are the hardest in your life to love. Picture the person right now, the group of people right now, that are the hardest for you to love. The ones that you would say, these are the least likely group of people, or this is the least likely person that I am willing to love, that I can naturally love, and Jesus is saying, love them. Love them. Be willing to cross political, social, cultural lines being motivated by love. For some of us, myself, that's how I know it, some of us, this is not about uh, Republican or Democrat. This is not about American or Russian. This is my family. Crossing lines in my family, being willing to love, that is what is most difficult to me. And Jesus is saying, I want you to embody my heart for them and display my love for them. Be willing to cross lines that are the most difficult lines in your life to cross and extend the heart of God and love those people. See your money as a way to provide for somebody in need. Put tangible expression to your love. Don't simply feel the emotion. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just close with a question. I'd like to close our time with a question. Are we known for this kind of love? Are you known for this kind of love? Would our neighbors say, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with them, but I know that church loves us. I know that they are here for our good. There is a world that God wants, and it's marked by love, and Jesus wants his church to be that world, and he wants those who are searching for that love to find it here among us, among his people. It is a world-changing, radical call to a costly and sacrificial love. Will it be what marks our community? Will it be what marks you? It's what marked and motivated Jesus. Will we be imitators of him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son from your presence into the world to come and live a life motivated by love, a love that led him to the cross, a love that, that took him from life to death so that we could go from death to life. 
I pray. I pray that we would be compelled and motivated by that love and that it would shape the way that we live. It would shape the way we see our finances. It would redefine how we see our neighbors. And I pray for any the men and women in here who just go, but I'm one of those outsiders. I, I'm, I'm one of the outsiders to God. I know that I am. I pray that they would know that love has led them. I should say love led your son to the cross for them and that they would know that today could be the day that they become an insider. I pray that we would be a radically generous people. Radically generous. Compelled by the love of Christ for us, willing to extend that love to our neighbors. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.